So as we get into this, this series, I, I think what's important, even as I, I shared some of my life, is just this is part of our reality, right? It's just kind of a sample of what's going on in each of our lives because we all have stuff that's hard. We all have things that we're, we're wrestling with in our lives and we're wanting God to show us the way forward. And you may not know that way forward today. You know, I'm searching for that way forward. But that's why we're here. That's why we gather as a church and a community. That's why we come together because God, through worship, through relationships, through the teaching on Sunday, as we open up God's word, God speaks. And you know what? He's going to speak to us today as we talk about our need for friendships, for significant community. So I'll I'll go back just for a moment um, to last week once again. So positive friendships, right friends, they set us on a positive trajectory for our future and our life. And we all need them. And today we're going to talk about the reality that we might be just one friend away from a new future, for, from a better life, to experiencing more of God and more uh, sense and uh, clarity of what God's purpose is for us and how we can live in this world. So um, I want to, as we get into that, I want to go back to my high school years, to a significant time for me um, when I was searching for relationships. Now, before I do that, I want to take you... Uh, we went to prom last night. My wife, Candace, and I went to prom as chaperones. It was, it was very cool. I haven't been to prom in a very long time. And here's a picture of us last night chaperoning. And one of the coolest things was when we got there, we were supposed to be there till midnight, which I was crabby about because I don't like staying up late on Saturday nights. And, um, and yet all the positions were filled. So we just got to kind of wander around, interact with the kids, and leave at 11.15, which was very nice. So, uh, but the real purpose of the prom, the kids, here's my son Colin and his beautiful date. Very cool. Okay, so that reminds me of high school. So when I was a sophomore in high school, my dad, who worked in the automotive, automotive industry. Oh, so this is me. Sophomore year of high school. Okay, yeah, so I showed somebody this picture this morning. They said, Dave, you're such a dork. There I am. Same shirt. <laughs> I, what can I say? That, you know, that was me, sophomore year in high school. And so my dad, I was in, in the suburbs of Detroit. And my dad takes a job on the west side of Michigan. And so he's, he's already traveling back and forth. And I know that after my sophomore year, we're going to be moving to Holland, Michigan. And it was a little strange that year, but especially when we got to that summer and we were moving. Because I didn't know anybody. I knew my mom and dad and my sister, Heidi. And I was turning 16 that summer. My sister was 11. And it was... Uh, and we just didn't know we didn't know anybody, and so for Heidi and me, it was um, I mean it was kind of defining the relationship moment for us because we didn't get along. Typical brother and sister, and and it was going to be okay. What's the trajectory of our summer going to be? Is it going to be me, you know, giving her a hard time, you know, pushing her, making fun of her, making her cry, or 
is something going to change? And the interesting thing was, because we didn't know anybody, we ended up spending a lot of time together, and we actually found out that summer that we liked each other. There was a breakthrough. And I actually had, had a sense, probably maybe not for the first time, but a sense that I have to look out for my sister. And so this bond and friendship began. Now, what was also interesting, I started driving that summer. And I'll, I'll never forget this. this. is really vivid. 16 years old, I was driving with Heidi in the car, and I got pulled over, got my first speeding ticket. I was going 48 in a 30. And I'll never forget, this is probably why I remember it all, the officer came up, and he lectured me about, hey, you have your sister in the car, and you need to make sure she's safe. And I didn't like it at the time, but man, it was it was great police work on his part. So I got it. But here's the thing. So as uh, August and September came, school was starting, and I was so anxious because I didn't know anybody. And so I had all these questions that were swirling through my head and my heart. Same thing for my sister. Am I going to find a friend? Am I going to find some friendships, some people I can hang out with, some people I can connect with? In this new place. Now, as you think of your own life, you may be in a a new season right now where you're wondering some of these same questions. But we've all been through it, right? We've been through it where we've started a new job, we've moved to a new city, maybe we've started at a new school, or we're coming out of a divorce and we're wondering am I gonna find a friend or some friends? to do life with. It's something that's very real for us. Now, last week, um, I shared a, a study, some statistics. Now, this is incredible, but this, uh, in this study, they found that 20 to 25 years ago, the average person had six good friends. Now, today, in our culture, just only 20, 25 years later, the average person only has two good friends. And 25% of us have zero friends. So maybe as you think of your life today, you're like, I feel very alone. So here's a question. Have you ever thought that you might be living at the poverty line of friendships? Now, the reason I ask that question is it's like a really heavy question. Have you ever thought you might be living at the poverty line of friendships? And it's kind of weird because we... We think of poverty, okay, material poverty. We know that there are people all across our globe living either at or under the line of poverty. I mean, that's most of our world. And we know that it's like every day is just trying to make it, trying to find enough food and drink to live and exist. And then there's also spiritual poverty. And spiritual poverty is when um, you know, people live with no sense or, uh, or uh, you know, don't have any experience of a God who's involved in our world and involved personally in our lives. And what happens when you live in spiritual poverty is the world becomes closed and you just focus on material stuff. And yet even underneath that, there's a sense of anxiety because you wonder, is this all there is? What's the purpose of it all? But then there's relational poverty, which is where countless people are living without 
significant relationships. And that's, that's some of us wondering, is there somebody who's going to care about me? Is there somebody who's going to stand with me, get to know me, to know what I'm about? So how do we prevent this? How do we move, if we're struggling in terms of finding significant relationships, how do we move from that? And there's just one thing, one starting point for all of us, and it's, it's this. It's pretty simple. We have to be open to finding good relationships. We have to be open to looking for those kinds of people. Now, here's the good news. It's not totally up to us. We just have to be open to it because if it's not totally up to us, that means maybe God is involved in it. I mean, what if God is actually going before us and we simply need to just show up? where God is involved and wants us to find some significant friends. Now, um, I've uh, I've talked with lots of people over the years about relationships, and this is mostly dating type stuff. And every once in a while, somebody will say, well, I just can't find anybody. I just can't find the right person. And I'm like, well, maybe you just need to get out of your house. You can't hole up in your room and watch Netflix and play video games and go meet somebody. And sometimes we go through tough times and we don't want to leave our space, but we've got to be open if we're going to find these significant kinds of relationships. So here's the thought. You might be one friend away from changing the course of your life and even your destiny. You might be one friend away, and if you're open to it, God might provide that relationship which will significantly change your life. So I want to um, go into the book of Acts in the New Testament. I want to share a little bit about Paul's life. Um, Paul wrote a half of the New Testament. 13 out of 27 of the books in the New Testament were written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was, uh, his name was Saul in this encounter in Acts. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman or Latin name which later he went by because he was trying to appeal to a larger audience as he reached out to people who didn't know God. But in this story, it's Saul. So here's Saul's background. He's this Jewish guy. He's a religious leader. He's this young person who's excelled in the Pharisee party, and he's out bringing down Christians, In fact, in the text, it says he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's followers. He was having Christians taken from their homes and put in prison in Jerusalem. In his mind, these people, these Christians are idolaters. They don't know the true God. They're following this Christ. And so they have to be dealt with. And so Saul's on the road to Damascus as he's searching for more Christians. And all of a sudden, a light from the heavens comes, flashes around him, and he does an absolute face plant in the ground. Like he was dead. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, meets him on the road. And he says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, it's interesting how Jesus said it because this is a huge deal for us. Jesus says, if you're persecuting my people, if you're against my people, 
You're persecuting me. And for us, as we do our best to follow God, just to know that he's on our side. He identifies with us. And that means that you and I, as we grow in our relationship with God, we identify with him. That his grace and his presence and his purpose is a part of our lives. But he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and so Saul's on the ground and Jesus says, I want you to go into the city and there you're going to meet somebody who's going to tell you what to do. And so Saul gets up, he opens his eyes and he can't see, he's blind. And his friends walk him by the hand to Damascus and you know, he, he goes into the city, he goes to a particular place and he's blind for three days and he's praying. At the same time, Jesus shows up to Ananias, who's a Christian living in Damascus. And he says, I want you to go to this particular house on Straight Street and I want you to ask for a man named Saul for he's praying. In his prayers, in Saul's prayers, I've given him a vision of you coming to him that you're going to put your hands on him and heal his vision. And you know what Ananias says? He says, no way, Jose. He's like, hey, this guy is having Christians put away. Everybody knows about him. I've heard the reports. And he's doing against, this, against your people, Christians in Jerusalem. He's trying to arrest anybody he can get his hands on. I'm not going there. And Jesus says, Go. For he is my chosen instrument to bring my name and my salvation to these people afar from God, the Gentiles. And he's going to suffer much for his work and ministry. So Ananias went. He went to this house on Straight Street. He found Saul with great anxiety, I'm sure, he found Saul, he prayed with him, he put hands on him, and Saul was filled with God. He regained his sight, and he was baptized to identify with Jesus. A miracle. So Saul went out, and then he began to share about the grace of Jesus. Anybody who would listen, he shared the message of Jesus, and he had this new identity. Now, here's what's so important for us as we listen to the story. Ananias became that one friend that changed Saul's destiny. He was a part of that. God did it, but Ananias had a role in it. And you and I need friends like that. A friend who will believe in us. And Ananias did that for Saul. He believed in him. And then we also need friends who are going to stand with us. Now, there's another story. There's another guy. His name's Barnabas. And in Acts chapter 9, we read this. I'll actually read the text. So when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. And it's kind of the same routine here. They were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They're like, uh-uh. But Barnabas took him and brought Saul to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And now there were Jewish leaders who were trying to kill Saul. So Saul stayed there with them, and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. You see, 
He wouldn't have had that opportunity, at least right away. God was leading it, but Barnabas stood in the gap for him. He stood and said, I'm with him. I believe in Saul. I'm partnering with Saul. I'm standing with him. And it says later that Paul and Barnabas, they spent a year together in Antioch, teaching and building a new Christian community together. We all need that. Um, I've needed that throughout the years. And I think back to a time in my life, probably 11 or 12 years ago, where I had, uh, I mean, I was going through a really tough time um, in leadership. I was getting a lot of op- opposition. I wasn't exactly sure how to, how to handle things. And I had a friend, his name was Gord, and he was an older guy. And I, I just met him through some, you know, I, I, I bought property from him. That's how I met Gord. And we'd started a relationship. And so I called Gord and I said, I'm going through this tough stuff. And he'd, he'd been in business for years and he had, you know, just, he'd gone through great challenges, lots of ups and downs. And so he asked questions and he listened and he gave me advice. But what's most important about my time with Gord is that I knew he believed in me. That he said, you know, Dave, I'm, I'm with you. And one of the things that he shared with me that was so moving to me and so important to me was he shared his faith. And Gord, even though he'd had lots of success, um, he experienced lots of times of doubt, lots of challenge. And he would always go back to this card that he'd created that had these scriptures and verses. And all the verses were about his identity in Christ. And so he would read those with me, and he's like, Dave, I don't know how many times, hundreds, probably thousands of times, I've gone back to this card, and it's been an encouragement of who I am in Christ. And I want to encourage you in terms of who you are in Christ. He was there to believe in me and to stand with me. And I want to, uh, we've got a story to tell too, if, if Jesse and Mr. H would come up uh, right now. Because for each one of us, we need to be open to those friends, those relationships that can not only make life better, but can change our trajectory and our destiny. You have a mic? Okay. So, um, how long have you gentlemen known each other? That's a good question. Jesse, how long have we known each other? It's been about 12, 13 years. Okay. And how, Mr. H, how did you meet Jesse? Um, I have three daughters. Uh, My middle daughter, Robin, she was about 19 at the time. And uh, she was friends with Jesse, and he came over to the house, Mm -hmm. and that's where I met him. All right. Mm -hmm. And so um, you met, I mean, I'm sure she brought lots of friends to the house. Why did you make... Uh, a commitment to pursue friendship or relationship with Jesse? Well, when I first met Jesse uh, at the house, you know, I, you know, I was impressed because he was, you know, rather articulate and uh, compared <laughs> to some of her other friends. But, but I really, there was really no, uh, I mean, there was really no friendship or anything. There were some events that occurred after that. Um, my, my daughter um, was at that time, I, I would characterized in rebellion against God a little bit, and I was praying for her. And I took her to a uh, Matt Redmond Delirious concert at uh, Lawyer Auditorium, 
And on the way back, she said, uh, hey, Dad, can I uh, play some of Jesse's music? I think he had just uh, made a CD. And so I said, sure. And, and the music came on. And just when it came on, it was rather a melodical uh, guitar piece. And, and it just came to me to say, you know, one day, Jesse's music is going to lead people to Jesus. And after I said it, I heard laughter from the passenger seat. And I thought, that was a peculiar thing for me to say. And I think you heard about it. And you laughed, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, the joke was on you. (laughs) I was very, very far from God at the time. And uh, the the last thing I thought would ever, ever happen would be uh, exactly what he said. And I I mocked you, just so you know. Oh, okay. Um, So so, uh, I think about a year later, now Jesse uh, uh, got in trouble with the San Antonio Police Department, and it caused him to be incarcerated. Uh, That's so eloquent. <laughs> hey, he went an, to jail. I'm an, I'm an attorney. I'm, <laughs> and so um, he, he uh, my daughter said that he had asked uh, that I pray for him. And so I told her, sure, I'll pray for Jesse. And um, I really let me, had... Let me time out real quick, okay. just so I can give you some context. Uh, by this time, I was already in prison, and they had me in a cell for 23 hours out of the day by myself. They gave me 15 for breakfast, 15 for lunch, 15 for dinner, and 15 for shower. But the rest of the time, I was alone in a cell, surrounded by all this crazy noise, but really left to my own thoughts. And uh, it started to really, really tear at me. And uh, I would write to my friend Robin, and on the back of the envelope, I would uh, I would say hi to to. Mr. H's wife, Carolina, I would say, hi, mom, because, uh, you know, she tried to feed me, so I was really, really uh, all about that. <laughs> so I would say, hi, mom, and, uh, but this particular time, I, I wrote on the back, hi, mom, and then I asked, would you ask Mr. H to pray for me? Because I believed that, uh, obviously, I was being punished, and I wanted someone that was in good with God to pray for me, put in a good word for me, because I knew that I was not in his good graces, or at least that's what I believed. Well, anyway, that was like on a Monday, and the week passed, and then the, the Wednesday after that, I was in a midweek service at a church, and uh, it was time for prayer, and I had a really bad week, and so I was really just complaining to God uh, about my week, and uh, I, I heard a voice, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit, and the voice said to me, you have to tell Jesse, and I I said, well, I told Jesse through Robin that I'm praying for him, and I hadn't really been doing it. And when I said it, when I'm praying that, you know, I realized I was lying to myself and I was lying to God. And I, and I heard a voice say, no, you have to pray. You have to tell Jesse I love him. And so I got real contrite, and my whole just demeanor in, in, in that service changed um, where I realized that we serve an awesome God, and uh, just reminded of that. And the first thing I did when I got home is I got on my computer and I typed out a letter to him. And and I guess that's how we... So I got, I got a letter back, and it's a, a two-page, uh, single-spaced uh, attorney letter, you know, with red lettering <laughs> and quotes and stuff. And, and it was very, very thorough. But uh, the message was that, that uh, God loved me. And he and I began a correspondence. Yeah. And so uh, how did your relationship develop then, this 
kind of mutual commitment you had to one another? Well, he, uh, he would write to me every week. And I could count on a letter from my parents, and I could count on a letter from Mr. H, and he wrote to me every single week I got a letter. And they meant so much to me. And I remember that I promised myself that when I got out, because uh, he invited me to his church and one of the letters, and I did not want to go to church. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with organized uh, faith of any kind. Uh, but because he wrote to me, I, I promised that I would go. I would go at least three times is what I told myself. And uh, when I got out, mm-hmm. I kept my promise, and I went to church so, with him. And how did, this, how did this going to church thing work? You just, like, went and picked him up? Well, <laughs> let me tell you. Uh, Mr. H, Mr. H uh, lived about a block away uh, from the church on Bandera Road. Uh, what he would do is he would drive 28 miles one way to the south side to pick me up. 28 miles back so that we could go to church. 28 miles to drop me off. And then 28 miles to go back home. For some reason... The, State of Texas didn't want me to drive. <laughs> but this happened week after week after week. He was always there to take me. He was always there with me. And we would always talk about what we had heard on the way back. And our friendship became very, very strong. And that's where your faith came alive? My faith began to come alive there at this church. I began to, to understand uh, the word differently than I had before. And Mr. H was always there to kind of like fill in the spaces a little bit. So paint the picture on kind of the defining moment of your relationship. What happened? Even though I was going to church and even though, uh, you know, I had even crossed the line of faith, so to speak. You know, I was led, you know, by one of my pastors to, to cross the line. You know, we all held hands at a Starbucks. And I said the prayer. My life uh, was spiraling out of control. And... Uh, the addiction to alcohol and to drugs was so uh, consuming that uh, I began to not go to church. I began to fall deeper and deeper into this very dark depression with this addiction that was slowly killing me. And one night, actually it was on March the 15th, uh, 2005, I... uh, I got home very, very drunk, and uh, there in the back room to my parents' house where I paroled and lived, uh, it was there that I decided that I did not want to live anymore. I wanted to die, and I began to prepare to die. And in, in my chaos, in, in all the things that runs through a very, very... Uh, hurt mind and heart. I, I called my pastor, you know, but this was at like 4 o'clock, 4.30 in the morning, and he didn't answer. Uh, I called Mr. H, and uh, he didn't answer either. So I just remember that everything went very, very still as I walked into the bathroom. I remember moving very, very slowly. All sounds were gone. It was just me. I remember almost hearing my heartbeat. And seconds before I did something very, very permanent, the phone rang. And it was Mr. H. Everything kind of came alive again. 
And uh, I went, I answered the phone, and uh, I remember uh, talking with him. I remember praying. But uh, it was at that moment when everything was said and done, when after he had prayed for me and, you know, the sun was already coming up, that I, uh, I cried out to God in a way that I don't think I've ever been able to do again. I asked God to take away the addiction, not to help me. I didn't ask for help. I asked him to hook me up. I asked him to take away the addiction because I was tired. I was tired and I could not do it. And I celebrated, you know, 11 years since God took that addiction from me mm-hmm. on March the 15th. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? Uh, I'd I just like to say that if, if any of you ever, uh, God puts you, uh, in a situation where you, he uses you to reach out to somebody that's far from God, remember this. You're not responsible for their salvation. You're only responsible for loving them. And and I think that's really important to know. And the, uh, the second thing is that while this was all going on, you know, I, I had been praying for my daughter. And I prayed for my daughter. And I remember um, actually praying out to God and saying, you know, I'm glad to do this for you, God. I'm glad to be Jesse's friend. I'm glad to be there for him, to be, love him like, you know, you, you want all of us to love each other. But you remember, I remember my daughter, Robin. And so um, the amazing thing is that through Jesse's salvation, my daughter reestablished her, her uh, love of Jesus and, in, a, in a strong way. And I'm just so grateful for that. Yeah. Because Mr. H was faithful yeah. to, to God and to our friendship. Uh, God, was faithful. God was faithful. God was faithful to you, Mr. H. And I, I love you so much, man. And I thank you for, <laughs> for calling me back, one, for calling me back. But I gave him so many opportunities to throw me away. I promise you, I was necio. Anyone who knows what necio <laughs> is, I was necio. And I was, I was not the best of friends to you, but you never, uh, you never gave up on me, bro. Yeah, you're part of our family now. Yeah. And that's, uh, thank you very much. And that's really the point of their story. Thank you for, for being willing to share it, is Jesse was one friend away. And Mr. H was that friend that changed the, the, really Jesse's future, his destiny. And that may be our reality today. We're one friend away from a better life, from a new purpose, a new destiny. We just need to be open to it. Pray with me quickly. Lord, thank you for today, for this opportunity to hear and to see how you do this. You grow us. You bring life and purpose to us through relationships, through friends, through people who care for us, who believe in us and stand with us. Lord, would you please do that in our lives as we pray, as we open our, ourselves to one more friend, or maybe it's for us. We need to be that friend to somebody else. Lord, please do this. In Christ we pray. Amen. <laughs>